Hear the word of God from 1 John 4, 1 through 21. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in, he in us. He has given us his he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Family? Yes, good morning. We're so good to be worshiping together this morning. We're continuing our series in the book of 1 John. And once again, John talks about love. As a matter of fact, John talks about love so much that I almost feel like I need to say something anti-sappy so as not to feel so ooey-gooey, just love all the time, love. There's just so much love. I mean, John talks more about love than Nicholas Sparks does. I was hoping that would be good. I was wondering if that would work, but okay. He talks more about love than R&B music. If, if, if you remember last week, I shared with you John in his old age would greet all his people the same way. He would be carried in, even in his old age, and he would say, love one another. He was known to be the, the one who just 
was all about love. In his gospel, he would identify himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I know that may rub people the wrong way, and I'm sure Peter probably hated it, but I love that John did that. I love the, the audaciousness of it, the, the, the audacity. He, he boldly proclaimed and identified himself as a beloved of Jesus. Not by his skills. He didn't identify himself by his skills or his profession or his attributes or even his given name. In his gospel, his identity was found in the fact that Jesus loved him. I know it's bold, but maybe we should all kind of take a little move from him, a little hint from him and start identifying ourselves this way. Instead of always being defined by what we do or who we know or whatever it may be, maybe we can start identifying ourselves by saying, hey, I'm Lawrence and I'm the, the disciple Jesus loved. Hey, I'm Lawrence, I'm beloved of Jesus. Not Lawrence, hey, I'm a pastor or hey, I'm Gina's husband or I'm Josiah's father, but who I really am is I'm loved by Jesus. I love that boldness, right? I love that kind of identifying factor. He's like, this is who I am. That's the source of who I am, and it drives what I'm like. So as we dive into what the disciple whom Jesus loved wrote to us, we saw last week that in chapter three, a great test of our faith is the way we love. We're to love sacrificially the way Jesus did. He is our example. And in chapter four, we see in the very beginning, John's emphasis again being on the confession that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God and making sure the readers don't stray from this truth. And then starting in verse seven, John goes from this truth of the incarnation of Christ immediately back into the subject of love. He does a lot of repetition. Now, why would he move from this discussion of faith, this incarnation of Christ, our believing in the truth of God's word about who Jesus is immediately to the issue of love again? How are they connected? Well, if you look back in chapter three, verse 23, you'll see one way they're connected. In chapter three, verse 23, he summarizes the New Testament call of the Christian life in this way. He says, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. What a good sum up of the New Testament call. Now, isn't it interesting to see that John summarizes the call of the Christian life, the call of the Christian experience to believing in who Jesus is in accordance with scripture and loving one another in accordance with scripture. That's what he's saying. He's literally saying this is what it means to be a Christian is you need to believe in who Jesus is according to scripture and then love one another in such a manner. And then chapter, all of chapter kind of four, one through 16 is a, kind of an elaboration on this point which he has given here. It's kind of a, elaborating on this like, very succinct phrase or statement found in chapter three, verse 23. And so John has repeatedly in this book been concerned not only our call to faith not only a call to trust, not only a call to belief in who, who Jesus is and what the Bible says about him, but a call to belief in Christ claiming to be, but also a self-giving mutual love. He's mixing this combination of you need to believe the truth about the incarnation of Jesus, that he is the manifestation of who God is, how he was promised by the prophets and he came in the flesh and he died a real death. But not only do you need to believe that, but you also need to be practicing love. You need to be denying yourself. You need to love one another in spite of differences, in spite of all the sin and issues that arise between believers. You need to love across all those obstacles. And that's just called to us constantly in this book, is believe the truth and walk in love. And a simple way to look at it is, is God calls us to truth and love. And so often in today's culture, there seems to be a divide over those two concepts. But for John, truth and love are inseparable. 
I often hear people say, who cares about doctrine and theology? We just need love. All you need is love. And as far as John's concerned, you cannot love like God calls you to love if you do not know the things of God. Let me say that again. You cannot love the way God calls you to love if you don't know, do not know the things of God, if you don't know who God is. Jen Wilkins says this, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. The heart cannot love what the mind does not know. But I've heard others say this so-called love one another theology has kind of watered down the truth and the truth is all you need to set you free. Yet John is here saying truth without love isn't truth. My people, I pray that you know so clearly that our call is to know the truth about God and that needs to lead us to love and not just love in this ooey-gooey feeling thing, but love in this self-sacrificial, live your life for others, give of yourself type of love. We need truth and love. Now, in John's day, there was a group of people in the church. This, I'm going to call them, they claim, this so-called claim to be super Christian group of people. They were teaching other Christians that the way to be a super Christian was to be introduced to a secret knowledge, which could be taught by only those super teachers that these super Christians follow. And then if you're introduced to this secret knowledge, you could live at a higher plane than everyone else. Now, you might be asking, where are you getting this from? My professor, Ligon Duncan, is who I'm going to say, if you, if you don't believe me, just ask that theologian because he's really smart. But my professor, Ligon Duncan, which actually in one of his um, commentaries shared that that's what he's talking about in 1 John chapter 2. That in that church that John was leading, that there was false teaching coming in. And this teaching was teaching these ideas that led to that if you know these secret things of God, you're better than these other people. If you know these cool secrets about theology and doctrine, you're better than everybody else. So they're trying to create this kind of super sect of super Christians led by super Christian teachers. And the result of this particular teaching by these group of people was not only that there were people in the church that were embracing things that were untrue, like the denial that Jesus was truly, fully human in the flesh when he came to save us from our sins, but there was also a result of this division in the church. Because of this false teaching, this super Christian teaching, there was division in the church. I mean, could you imagine that somebody came around and be like, hey, I know this super cool little secret about the Bible that nobody else knows, and, but if you know it, if you follow me, as like, I'll teach you, and you're a cool super Christian, and could you imagine what would happen to a church if that happened? And so this division was happening in the congregation, and in fact, people were leaving the church, they were having fights, they were having issues, and First John, this letter, we're talking about that, mainly in chapter 2. And John says, I can tell you that this teaching is wrong by its effect. Its effect has been to divide up the body, to set people against one another, not to edify, not to build up, and not to encourage one another. It was bringing division to the church, and so John wanted to say, real biblical truth, as opposed to the false truth of these prophets, real biblical truth will issue forth in love. So can I tell you, my people, if somebody comes to you and comes to you and like, hey, this is a cool little understanding of the Bible, a cool new way to look at things, but if it leads to division and hatred and fighting, can I tell you that most likely it is not from God? Because real biblical truth will issue forth in love. You guys with me? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. I like nodding heads because sometimes I feel self-conscious up here. I'm like, does people listening? Are people listening? But yeah, this makes me feel like it. You guys are always welcome to nod your head if you guys like what I'm saying. You can also shake your head and be like, hmm. That way at least I know what's going on. And so for this very practical reason, John keeps circling back to love. Because it's one of the ways that he can show them, guys, guys, this is false teaching. Because it's not leading to love. 
And see, there's a practical reason why John keeps coming back to love. But there's also another practical reason why John keeps on reminding them about love. And that other reason is because we're all still sinners. We wound one another in the church, don't we? We let one another down. We offend one another. I guarantee you that I've probably offended most of you guys in this room at some point, right? I guarantee you somebody else in this room has hurt you or wounded you or offended you in some way, shape, or form. We're all sinners. We're all, we all have a propensity to be selfish and to, to seek after our own desires or to be forgetful or to be lazy. Whatever it may be that takes up in the wound. But can I tell you something? Guys, this is why John reminds us over and over and over again, we are not perfect yet. We are sinners. Can we love each other and show grace to each other in the midst of this? We're also very different people. The Lord in his goodness and his grace brings all sorts of different types of people into community together. And that's a challenge for a lot of different people, right? What happens when, when people live in close proximity together? You step on one another's toes, you get on one another's nerves, and often the closer you are, the deeper wounds can be, the more powerful the divisions. And that's what happens in our church. If we're doing this right, we should be stepping on each other's toes because we're bringing close together and we're bringing people who are different together. And if we're doing this right, we should be, as the Bible says, iron sharpening iron. But when you don't sharpen each other without sparks flying, right? It takes that for it to sharpen that. It takes, it takes friction. It takes a little bit of stuff coming off of us. Can I tell you something? That some of the worst fights you can ever get into is fights with your family, isn't it? Those could be deep, right? Let me tell you something. This is true for me. Um, during my sabbatical, I was processing a lot of like, things that have happened in my life, processing like family pain and trauma and different kind of historical sins in life. And during that time, I got all this emotions coming up and all this stuff. And then I get into a big fight with my dad. And I hated it. But it, it was a type of fight that I could only get into with my dad because of all the, the closeness and the intimacy and the chance we had to wound each other and to love each other. It's just, but it was a huge fight with my dad. And I'm going to tell you that only the fights with your family could be that deep and hurt. Am I right? God's called us to be family together. So can I tell you this, and you guys already know this, that there's a chance that the church is going to wound you. I know a lot of you guys have been hurt before. And so you've been hurt before, said so you don't want to be hurt again. You don't want to be vulnerable again. So you come to the church with this little, okay, I'll come to church because I feel like God called me to church, but let me keep it, let me keep it at arm's breadth away. Let me, let me stay away from it because I don't want to be hurt again. Am I right? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We come with this shell, with a barrier, with a wall around us because we don't want to be hurt again because you have been hurt. And we know that people are sinners and they will hurt you again. Can I tell you something? John says, even though you could get hurt again, even though it's painful, even though you can be hurt again, can I tell you that you still need to choose to love? And love means being open and vulnerable. You see, it's sacrificial. The sacrificial thing about you loving in community means that you could get hurt. You could get hurt. You could be let down. Your small group leader could let you down. Your elder could let you down. Your pastor could let you down. Your friend could let you down. It could happen. But can I tell you something? Love chooses to be sacrificial. Love chooses to say, okay, I know I could be let down, but I will be vulnerable. And God's called us to truth and love in the body together. Does that make sense? We have to choose to do this, and it isn't easy. There are four reasons John gives us here for choosing to love. 
And the first one is because God is a source of true love, we are to love one another. Verses 7 and 8, he points us to this divine source of love. And this is his first argument of why we ought to love one another. He says, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's his argument. God himself is the real source of real love. When you see people really and truly loving one another as God intended in his word, John is saying, you can bet that God is at work because God is the source of love. And the argument is because God is the source of all real and true love, we ought to love one another. John is saying that all true love flows from God and all true love derives from God. And he's not just talking about an emotion here, once again. He's not talking about just a feeling. He's, just talk, he's talking about real, tangible self-commitment to others. That's the kind of love he's calling us to, to look out for one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another. And John said that kind of love flows from God. You can't give yourself away unless God's filled you up with his love first because he's the divine source of love. So his logic is this, unless you've been filled up with the love of God, you can't love others the way you're called like this, biblically, to love others. Unless you know the, the, that truth of that source, you can't love others. Because there's no human love on this earth that can fill up the void that is in us, that's, that needs filling, that can only be filled by the love of a God who knows us, who, who knows us completely and still chooses to love us and calls us to purpose. Guys, John's reminding us that God is a source of love and as a source of our ability to give ourselves away in love. See, what this literally is saying is that we all, as human beings, have an innate desire. We have a need. I, always, I call it the human condition. Other people call it this, this hole in your soul. Other people call it the, the missing link, the part of you that's gone. But basically what it comes down to is that we all have a desire, I always say, to we want to be known and to be loved. But here's the problem. We always come back to this, is that if we're truly known, we're scared to be truly known. Because honestly, if we're real with ourselves, if we, we're afraid that if we're truly known, then we can never be truly loved. Right? Because we're honest with those, because I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I know this about myself. I'm pretty messed up. And I'm very selfish. And I'm a sinner. And I do things that I probably shouldn't do, and I think things I shouldn't think, and I act in ways that are very selfishly motivated. And so if I truly thought in some ways that if, if I could be truly known, then honestly, I don't know if I could truly be loved. And so there exists this issue, this void in our hearts that wants to be truly known with no masks, no fronts, no covers up. This wants to be completely known because we're tired of covering up, but we're afraid that if we're truly known, we'll never truly be loved. Can I tell you that that void allows, stops us from truly loving sacrificially, the way God calls us to. But in Christ, in Christ, we can make this weird, incredible bold proclamation that you can be known fully, completely, utterly exposed. Everything about you can be completely known, yet you're still radically loved. So that void is fulfilled in Christ as God as a source of that love. And knowing that that source is fulfilled, then can you actually love self-sacrificially? You can actually love because you're confident that for some strange reason, God in his goodness said, I love you anyway. You're mine. You're my beloved. You're my child. And I can say, I'm the beloved disciple of Jesus. And with that identity, I can love others sacrificially. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Because I want you to understand that Paul and John are in step together. Some people would often say, like, Paul, he's the theological one, and John's the practical love 
He's the one talking about love all the time. And Paul's always talking about abstract theology. <laughs> for John, truth is for love. And for Paul, the truth is for love. And that's why in Christian life, doctrine and experience and practice go all together. Doctrine and right believing of Bible truth, experience and right longing and desires for God, for his people and practice, obedience to God, what he calls us to the word, those three things go together. And John is saying here that if you know who God is, if you know that he is the source and the fountain of love and of all life, then it will show in the way you love. Do you see that? Number two, because God showed his love by giving his son, we're to love one another. We're not only to love because God is the source of all love, we're to love because God has showed his love in the giving of his own son. Because God has manifested his love in the giving of his son, we're to love one another. And so he's he's pointing to the saving action of God as revealing just how great the love of God is. Verses 9 through 10 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, John's telling us that God has shown us his love in the sending of his son on a rescue plan that ends up costing his life. He came as an atoning sacrifice. And I love the emphasis on the father here. We often grasp the idea of Jesus coming to rescue us and Jesus laying down his, his, his life for us, Jesus' love for us. We think, oh, thank you, Jesus, you laid down your life for us. But what John is focusing on here is the Father's love by giving his son on a deadly rescue mission. We love because the Father gave everything in order to save us, in order to look at us and call us beloved children. Before you go into really asking the question of loving others, do you first truly understand that you are loved so passionately that Jesus came to your rescue? That he lived a perfect life of love for you and died the death that he didn't deserve willingly. And he's resurrected in power, ever pleading for you. Do you believe that you are a child of God because of this? Because can I tell you something? That void needs to be filled before you're able to love others. Number three, because God's love is made visible and complete, we are to love one another. It says, no one has ever seen God in verse 12, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is actually one of my favorite verses of all time, by the way. Because no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. At first glance, this verse seems out of context. John's been discussing God's love for us and our love for one another. Then out of nowhere, he abruptly states, no one's ever seen God. What? Where'd that come from? Why did he throw that in there? What does God's invisibility have to do with the discussion of love? The same words actually occur in the prologue to John's gospel in John 1.18. It says, no one's ever seen God but the one and only son who, himself, who is himself God and is in close relationship with the father has made him known. But John here continues, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what does he mean? Stephen Cole states this. He means that the unseen God who was historically revealed in the incarnation of the son is now revealed by the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit in his people when they love one another. In other words, people do not see God. They may not read the Bible. This is what Stephen Cole says. But they do see and read the lives of Christians. They read your Christian home. They read this church. They read you as you interact with others at work or at school. 
If they see a remarkable, otherworldly love in those places, especially if they see love when they would expect retaliation, they see God abiding in you. If they see anger, bitterness, verbal attacks, and hatred, then we are failing to testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Love is what the early church showed the world and made Christianity explode. There's a famous writer, a writer named Cassilius in AD 210. And this is what he said to Christians. They know one another by secret marks and signs. And they love one another almost before they know one another. The Greek writer Lucian says this of the early church. It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. The first legislator, Jesus, has put into their heads that they're all brethren. These are non-Christian writers talking about the church. It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. I wonder often how outsiders would describe the modern Christians. I wonder how they would describe Waypoint Church. John's point is that we may not see God, but we show his nature, his character, and his love by the way we love. We make complete the presentation of his love to others. I want you to hear that part. We make complete what, what was lacking, what, what needed to be complete in, God, in God's love, Right? There was nothing lacking. God's love was perfect and good and what work of Christ was utterly perfect. But what was lacking was the presentation of it to others. Do you hear me? What makes it complete is that it makes it complete when we love others the way Jesus loves so that we are presenting his love to others. You see, God deemed his love to be made complete when we present it to others and not keep it to ourselves. My people, are we showing who God is by the way we love can I make that statement? And I want you to hear me very well. One, I want that statement to be both a critique, a, a rebuke, but I also want to edify you. Okay, here's what I mean by that, okay? I want that to hit hard, be like, ooh, that, that, that's, mm, okay, all right, I love it, you know? I want that to feel like, oh, I gotta sit with that one, you know? At the same time, I want to be like, but guys, God's called you to it, you can do it. I don't want to hit you, and I want you to go like, oh, I gotta go to my hole, look how bad I am, I'm depressed. No, 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 that's not it at all. I don't want that to happen. I want that to hit you, and I want you to feel like, yes, but I also get to show the world who God is. I get to make complete his love. How incredible is that? I get to be the very presentation. I get to be the very presentation of his love. I remember one time, um, I had an old youth minister back in the day. His name was Leighton. Uh, Leighton Lane Lockett from Lubbock, Texas. That's what I always say when I introduce him. His name was Leighton Lane Lockett from Lubbock, Texas. And he was, I don't remember how old he was, but we were always kind of like, he was a single guy, and I was like, we gotta, we gotta find Leighton a wife. That was, that was like the big thing. I gotta find Leighton a wife. <laughs> You know, and so I, I, this is when I was in high school, I was like, gotta find him a wife. Then in college, I gotta find him a wife. And when I was in college, I was still like, I gotta find Leighton a wife. He didn't have a wife. Well, finally, he admitted that he, okay, he's like, okay, there's this girl, and I like her, and I think I wanna propose, finally. And me and my friend, we were like, so excited for him. We were like, no way. We were all like, 
okay, let's come up with the most epic proposal of all time. We want to be a part of it. We want to be there. We want to celebrate because the idea of his expression of his love and this performance, this outrageous, elaborate kind of expression was for us like the most amazing thing possible. It could have completed in any more bigger way. He ended up just proposing one night without us, and we were very angry about it. I think he was too eager. He was like, not going to propose right now. But for real, I was just so excited. Like, I get to help present his love. How exciting is it? I wanted him to show it. I wanted him to receive it. It was so cool for me. Guys, how much bigger we get to present God's love. We get to do this. So yes, I want to, mm, I want to be like, are we showing God's love? But at the same time, I want to be like, yes, we get to do this. Does that make sense? Not just if you guys, you guys are following along. Fourth, because God is love, we are to love one another. In verse 16, 13 through 16, basically he says we're to love one another because God is love. In verses 7 through 8, he starts off, God is a source of love. We have to love one another. Then he says, because God has shown his love through his son, we have to love one another. Then he says, because God's love is made visible by us loving one another. Now it says, because God is love, we have to love one another. It says that this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. John says we must love one another because God is love. And this is the second time he says this in this passage. He says it in verse 8, and he says it again here in verse 16. God is love. God himself is love. Therefore you love. John Stott says, this is the most comprehensive and sublime of all the biblical affirmations of God's being. God is love means that at the root of all God does is love. No matter how difficult it may appear to us, the fountain from which all God's activity stems from is this kind of self-giving love. Even his judgment, his condemnations, even every act he does comes from love. Now John is not saying God is only love. John is not saying that all that God does is love. Some people will use this verse to argue against the idea of punishment or judgment for those who don't trust in Christ. They say, oh, you couldn't possibly, if God is love, then there couldn't be condemnation or punishment. But that's not what John means. John in 3.16, the very famous passage, God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. The implication being that those who will not believe in him will perish, That's not an unloving thing for God to do, to bring justice upon the wicked. Justice is not the opposite of love. You can be loving even in the administration of justice. And John's reminding us that here, you see, it's not only the only thing that God does is love, but God is loving in all that he does. But John is saying here that our love for one another is to reflect the very nature of God. He's saying you love one another because that's what your God is like. In Deuteronomy 7, Moses was talking to the children of Israel and he's trying to kind of explain to them why God chose them. And it's an interesting conversation. He kind of starts off with why God didn't choose them. He says stuff like, God didn't choose you because you were the greatest among the nations. And he didn't choose you because you were the most. No, God chose you because he loved you. God loved you. Why? Because God is love. He just loved me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. And my friends, there's a feeling of the death of that love for, for you that sets you free to give yourselves away to others. Guys, can I tell you that God being love needs to be what you want to show the world. It's like a kid wanting to be just like his dad. 
You know, so I love fishing. Uh, that's something I, I enjoy doing. Well, it's because my dad, at an early age, used to take me fishing. My dad never spent much time with me. I was, uh, he was busy, he was working. This, he didn't know really how to spend time with a kid. You know, that just wasn't something that happened often. But one thing he liked to do was go fishing, and he would take me fishing with him, right? So there's very few times I get to spend with my dad, kind of would only typically revolve if we went fishing together. Right? I got kind of annoyed with him because he switched fishing for golf. I didn't like golf, so I didn't really get to see it, but that's a whole other story. But when we would go fishing together, that's the time I get to spend with my dad, and I wanted to be like my dad. Now, mind you, I used to think my dad was the biggest, strongest, coolest guy in the world, right? I literally thought he was the biggest, strongest man in the world, but my dad's like 5'3", 130 pounds, so he's <laughs> not really that big. But I thought he was, and I wanted to resemble him. I wanted to, to, to look like him, to be like him, guys. Can I tell you, God is love. And being called a child of God, something innately cries out, I want to be like you, Dad. I want to show you. I want to show you to the world. And I don't know if this is the, whether or not this is a cultural thing in me that existed, but that existed so strong in me. I want to make you proud, Dad. I want to look like you. I don't know how many times I've seen people happen, like, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm, a, I'm this because my dad was this. You know, what do you do? Oh, I'm a police officer because my dad was a police officer. What do you do? I'm a, I'm a doctor because my dad was a doctor. I see that over and over again. And there's something profoundly powerful about that sentiment. Well, our God is love. What do you want to be about? Do you want to resemble him? That's what he is. Verses 17 and 18 says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I love how everything began with love and then these verses show us that it all ends with love. Love is a source and it's his end to completion. Love wins in the end. And that's the best news it could ever be. We can't miss the reality of this world, right? There's struggle and brokenness in this world. We can't miss the injustice and the hatred and the suffering. And I know even though we know love will overcome, it's sometimes hard to believe. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes we despair. Sometimes we wonder if this is as good as things will get. And maybe we feel afraid. When hatred seems the strongest, when the costs seem too high, when it seems impossible for love to win, I still want to remind you that love is the end. Love wins. Love triumphs. It's there in judgment. In 1964, Dr. Martin Luther King was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He accepted the award at a time in history when the struggle was very real, when peace seemed impossible, when justice and freedom and equality seemed hopeless. He accepted the award at a time in history, honestly, it doesn't feel that different today, does it? When he accepted his prize, he acknowledged that peace had not come. He acknowledged that struggle was real and still, but he said this, I believe that the unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is still stronger than evil triumphant. I believe that even among today's mortar bursts and whining bullets, there's still hope for a brighter tomorrow. Even though it's a messy world, God calls us to carry the love of God with us everywhere we go. And even though we're imperfect, even though we're not very good sometimes at sharing God's love, even though we are people made in God's image, we still participate in the struggles of this world, we're called to be resembling and to showing it to completion God's love. 
And the love of God is unexpected. It chooses the strangest of us, the weakest of us, the outcast, the imperfect. It chooses sinners like us to be used. But the love of God wins. God's love was a source and it began it all. And God's love will see it through to completion. My people, do you believe that he is the source and love wins at the end? Will you love? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... God, we thank you that you are a source of love, that God, you are love, that everything you do comes from that who, that who you are, that you are loving in all that you are. You are righteous and you are just and you are true and you are love. And in that mighty love, you for some reason, out of your love, chose us to love and called us to family and allowed us to be the very reflections, the very images of you to this world. May we show you well. God, may we love well. God, may we be the representation, may we be the presentation of your love for this world by the way we love others. Spirit, may that be our reality and our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. As we respond to the word of God this morning, We're going to turn to the Lord's table and communion as we take communion. But but before before we go into that, I just I want to take a moment as as we are responding to to this this message that the Lord has has laid on on Pastor Lawrence's heart that that we are receiving as we're responding is weighty. It really hit me hard. And so so I just want to I want to take a moment and just invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want us to consider, Pastor Ray Orland says that the, the command of Christ is that we love one another. He says the example of Christ is that we die for one another. And so the question I have for you as, as you're sitting here in your seats is, is my way of life leading to Love. Ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to search your heart. Are there any, are there any sins that you've committed that, that you need to search the Lord for, that you need to, to ask for repentance for? There's, things, there's, there's ways that we sin that are intentional. There's ways that we sin that are unintentional. I invite you to ask the Lord to seek it. Is it possible that there are unintentional sins in your, in your heart? that you're walking in, that you're unaware of, that you're not seeking. Ask the Lord to reveal those things to you. Invite others to, to speak into your life in that way. And maybe for some of you, as you're, as you're still processing, as you're sitting there, maybe you, maybe you've been sinned against and that's, that's all that you can, you, your mind can't shake it. That's all you can think about. I just want to encourage you as you're sitting there, consider the cross. Turn to the cross. Find find the love of Christ for you and the justice that you're seeking in the cross. See, I don't know how how the Lord deals with this completely. Lord, I'm still still searching. I'm still asking you, Lord, how, how can this be made right? Keep looking to the cross. 
the love that, that God lays down his life for you. Will you receive it this morning? Lord, as we turn to your table this morning, God, you, you are inviting us into to renewal, to, to remember all that you have accomplished for us through your son, Jesus. God, that we don't come to your table as, as passive. We don't come to your table as, as ones who are, who are deserving of our own merit. God, but you call us to your table as ones who are receiving grace upon grace. And God, that as, as we continue to, to walk in sin, that you are leading us to, to walk in truth and light, to repent, to confess, to receive your grace, to extend mercy, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Lord, saying, not my way, but your way. Lord, I will trust you. I'm too weak. God, give me your strength. We trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as we are nourished by God's word, and at the table, we are reminded that this meal where we encounter the Lord has often been called a feast of love. It is here that we can taste and see. It is here that we can bring our hungers and be fed. It is here that we can shake off the name unlovable given to us by the world and claim the name beloved that was given to us by God, our Father. And so as we are about to eat, may we be filled with the love of God so that we may find the courage to go forth into the world with the unexpected, unafraid, and overcoming love of God. Each one of you has a cup, the wafer on top. You can peel back that first layer. This is the Lord's meal. He says, this is my body, which is for you. We take and eat in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Let's take it together. And in the same way, after, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup... Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We, we are proclaiming, we are putting to death sin and choosing to walk in the newness of life that he has promised for us, that he has secured for you through his son once and for all, forever. And you can walk in it and you can trust it that he has dealt with it and he will continue to deal with you. He will help us endure to the end. He is with us. He is for us. I'm gonna invite the band to come up and as they come up, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the way that you, God, you, you unite us to yourself with Jesus as our head. 
And God, also as you are doing that, you are also uniting us to the rest of your body, one another. And as Pastor Lawrence was sharing in his sermon this morning, Lord, this word that you have prepared for us, as your, your spirit is, is piercing us and, and applying this deep down in our hearts, Lord, God, may we, as we continue to, to hurt one another, to, to rub each other the wrong way, as we, as we are learning to, to endure, to persevere through these things, Lord, God, that you continue to unite us, that your love is stronger, and that your love is what it will change us, which is what is changing us and what we continue to trust, Lord, that you will change us. God, help us to love one another. Help us to obey this command, to walk in, in truth and love in faith through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.